don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. Is the idea of a central decision maker or a central designer for the economy just a problem of gathering all the right information and having the most intelligent analysis or decider? Or is there a far more fundamental problem with the entire notion? What is up, crew? Welcome back to the Crypto Economy Podcast. I am your host, Guy Swan. And we are digging into continuing with our week of Bitcoin economics. Uh, this was uh, the topic we're going to cover today and, to, and probably just tomorrow. I'm not 100% sure. It's a little bit long and uh, I don't know how long it's going to take to get through. So this could be three episodes. I'm guessing it's probably going to be two. But it is, uh, it is another one by F.A. Hayek, uh, Friedrich Hayek. Uh, titled The Use of Knowledge in Society. And it's all about the very, the, the very concept of whether it makes any sense, like looking at the design of what an economy is, what it means to be interacting, and the price system. What are these tools? How do they come about? And is there any sense whatsoever to the idea of a central decision maker? of some group of very intelligent people with all the right information to be able to dictate what a price of a good is or ought to be. Is there even a should when it comes to economic decision makings or is there simply uh, a consequence of real, uh, real events and realities uh, that get translated through millions and millions of transactions? So... We are going to dive into this one. This one is really, really interesting, and it's not a, not. I have talked about it in, like, in relation to other of Hayek's work, some of Rothbard's stuff that we've covered in the past, but we've never hit this topic like head on, like as its own topic. Uh, so I think this will be really fun. This is broken up into seven different parts, and as usual, Hayek is a little bit hard to follow with his language. So uh, I am going to actually just read it part by part, and then I'm going to interject commentary and kind of explain what he's talking about in some of this stuff as we go through. So it won't be a strict, I'm going to read for 20 or 30 minutes and then talk for 20 minutes or so. It's going to be like in 9 to 12 minute blocks, and then I'll talk about that section, and then we'll move on to the next, etc. So uh, sit tight. This is going to be a fun one. And uh, just a heads up to remind you, if you did not uh, yet check out J.W. Weatherman's uh, or donate to the bounty at 10hoursofbitcoin.com, that's the bounty for the Bitcoin Attackers Wiki. Um, And I'm really kind of interested to see, like, how that project goes. And I would like to uh, encourage you to donate to that project if you agree with me. So... Um, uh, I will leave the link in, I posted it in yesterday's show notes, but I will put it in today's as well. Uh, so don't forget to check that out. Oh, and just, just so this is published in a lot of different places, but I am, uh, I'm using fee.org. That's F E E the foundation for economic education. 
and they are a gold mine for this stuff, and they post everything under uh, Creative Commons license. So uh, just so you know, that's where this came from, and they are a wonderful, wonderful resource, and I super appreciate them allowing me to do this uh, on the show. So that's just one thing to remember to give a shout-out to Fee, uh, because without that, w- without them, I would not have access to a ton of the stuff. I-, I use them as a resource constantly. Them and Mises.org are the two best places to find uh, some amazing economic discussion. All right, without further ado, though, let's go ahead and jump right into this piece, again by F.A. Hayek, titled, The Use of Knowledge in Society. One. What is the problem we wish to solve when we try to construct a rational economic order? On certain familiar assumptions, the answer is simple enough. If we possess all the relevant information, if we can start out from a given system of preferences, and if we can command complete knowledge of available means, the problem which remains is purely one of logic. That is, the answer to the question of what is the best use of the available means is implicit in our assumptions. The conditions which the solution of this optimum problem must satisfy have been fully worked out and can be stated best in mathematical form. Put at their briefest, they are that the marginal rates of substitution between any two commodities or factors must be the same in all their different uses. This, however, is emphatically not the economic problem which society faces. In the economic calculus which we have developed to solve this logical problem, though an important step toward the solution of the economic problem of society, does not yet provide an answer to it. The reason for this is that the, quote, data from which the economic calculus starts are never for the whole society given to a single mind which could work out the implications and can never be so given. The peculiar character of the problem of a rational economic order is determined precisely by the fact that the knowledge of the circumstances of which we must make use never exists in concentrated or integrated form, but solely as the dispersed bits of incomplete and frequently contradictory knowledge which all these separate individuals possess. The economic problem of society is thus not merely a problem of how to allocate, quote, given resources, if given is taken to mean given to a single mind which deliberately solves the problem set by these data, it is rather a problem of how to secure the best use of resources known to any of the members of society, for ends whose relative importance only those individuals know. Or to put it briefly, it is a problem of the utilization of knowledge which is not given to anyone in its totality. This character of the fundamental problem has, I'm afraid, been obscured rather than illuminated by many of the recent refinements of economic theory, particularly by many of the uses made of mathematics. Though the problem with which I want to primarily deal in this paper is the problem of a rational economic organization, 
I shall in its course be led again and again to point to its close connections with certain methodological questions. Many of the points I wish to make are indeed conclusions toward which diverse paths of reasoning have unexpectedly converged. But as I now see these problems, this is no accident. It seems to me that many of the current disputes with regard to both economic theory and economic policy have their common origin in a misconception about the nature of the economic problem of society. This misconception, in turn, is due to an erroneous transfer to social phenomena of the habits of thought we have developed in dealing with the phenomena of nature. All right, so that is part one, and I am this. This is the introduction. This is just kind of uh, the. Um, I mean, this is the shortest part by far, but uh, I do want to hit this one in like a bit of an explanation as well, because he, as you can tell, his his language is a little bit confusing um, at first pass, uh, particularly in audio. I imagine it's probably a little easier to read, uh, just because you you're looking at it and you have a little bit of time to think about it, but. What he is saying here, I just kind of wrote bullet points of like, like clarifying any sentence that I thought was bizarre, but is we're working under the assumption that the task of economic order, or at least the, uh, the original point that he was trying to make is that we typically work under the assumption that trying to organize an economic, like rational order is... Uh, simply under the assumption that we're just going to gather all the relevant information, we're going to know the the set of preferences that we're trying to fulfill, and then we uh, then we get all the knowledge of like all the alternatives and uh, different methods that are available to us, and then all we have to do at that point is basically logic out the best use of each thing. Um, so the, the idea is we're going to allocate resources to their best use in the exact portions necessary so that all the commodities, the resources, the factors of production, the human labor, all of these things will be used in the right amounts for exactly the right purposes to specifically reach our, to accomplish our perceived preferences. And what Hayek argues is that this isn't actually the problem we're facing. Uh, and the math that we would produce in order to reach that goal does not give an answer to give us an answer to it anyway. It might help us, as you know, any and every person that we have making some sort of economic calculation does, in fact, speed up or uh, make more efficient that process. Uh, this is kind of like it's arguably why the internet is such a miraculous tool. You know, we can give each other, uh, we can make individual decisions with way more information at our disposal. We have better ideas of our own preferences and like are exposed to many more alternatives. There's faster communication, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, 100, it's an impossibility. It's just not possible that all the relevant information could be possessed or even given to a single mind. And that's because all of the relevant data is not only variant and contradictory, but it's also constantly changing by the moment. Like, uh, like, so just like, just like the internet makes us individually more efficient and maybe better at this, it also exponentially increases the amount of data and the speed which which that information changes, and like what form it exists in. So it doesn't make the pro it doesn't make it 
like make us any like closer to actually accomplishing that kind of fairy tale task of like oh we're just going to get all the information and the preferences and the alternatives together and then we're just going to do a math problem and that will be how we price things in the economy and allocate resources um it's just it's so impossible that it's hard to even explain how impossible it is there is no concentrated the, the data never exists in a complete form there's no concentrated story or explanation or some coherent sequence of logic to even follow for an economic calculation. It exists only as billions of tiny pieces working together from incomplete, misunderstood, and contradictory information held by billions of different people from different perspectives, working under their own different assumptions, and towards different ends and preferences. We don't even have all of the same of those and there's no way to va- there's no way to objectively measure one person's versus another's um like everybody has incomplete and inaccurate information so to say that this is the one that we should be following is uh, rather than letting anybody it just it, it just doesn't work uh so the real pro- the real problem is how to utilize knowledge which we know can never be known fully and which we know can never be given to any single individual or could ever be seen or uh, uh, consumed by any single entity or any single uh, narrative, I guess. Like, like, there's no cohesive unit to this data. So if that is the nature of the data, the question is, how do we use it? Like, so much of it is just circumstantial. It's just preference-based. How do we utilize data which is always incomplete, always contradictory, and always impossible to know? Um, so, uh, and, and, and entirely with, we also have to take into account just the idea of individual goals and that there is subjective importance on different tasks or means by you have a huge population of diverse uh, and like just varied members of society. Uh, so if the actual data, quote-unquote, that we're talking about doesn't actually exist anywhere at any time in its totality, how do we adjust for something that can never be known or properly measured? So that's kind of what that whole introduction is trying to say. All right, now before we jump into part two, let's go ahead and hit our sponsor. I'm going to get another coffee, and I'll be right back, and we'll jump right into section two. All right, let's jump in. Section 2. In ordinary language, we describe by the word planning the complex of interrelated decisions about the allocation of our available resources. All economic activity is, in this sense, planning. And in any society in which many people collaborate, this planning, whoever does it, will in some measure have to be based on knowledge, which, in the first instance, is not given to the planner, but to somebody else, which somehow will have to be conveyed to the planner. The various ways in which the knowledge on which people base their plans is communicated to them is the crucial problem for any theory explaining the economic process, and the problem of what is the best way of utilizing knowledge initially dispersed among all the people, is at least one of the main problems of economic policy, 
or of designing an efficient economic system? The answer to this question is closely connected with that other question which arises here, that of who is to do the planning. It is about this question that all the dispute about, quote, economic planning centers. This is not a dispute about whether planning is to be done or not. It is a dispute as to whether planning is to be done centrally by one authority for the whole economic system or is to be divided among many individuals. Planning in the specific sense in which the term is used in contemporary controversy necessarily means central planning, direction of the whole economic system according to one unified plan. Competition, on the other hand, means decentralized planning by many separate persons. The halfway house between the two, about which many people talk, but which few like when they see it, is the delegation of planning to organized industries, or, in other words, monopoly. Which of these systems is likely to be more efficient depends mainly on the question under which of them we can expect that fuller use will be made of the existing knowledge. And this, in turn, depends on whether we are more likely to succeed in putting at the disposal of a single central authority all the knowledge which ought to be used, but which is initially dispersed among many different individuals, or in conveying to the individuals such additional knowledge as they need in order to enable them to fit their plans with those of others. All right, so that actually closes out part two. Um, but this is just, I know this one was a little bit more straightforward, but uh, this one is just on the nature of planning. So there's a common fallacy that, um, it's, it's basically the presumption of the political argument, is that if the government is not planning everything, then there is no planning happening. Um, but planning, as Hayek explains, is simply the set of decisions or goals that we have and decisions we make in regards to those of how to utilize available resources. So any economic activity at all, like that's what economic activity is, is planning. It's inherent in all economic activity just by its nature. So to succeed in the, the economic sense in our economic problem uh, is, is, is a question between two different ends of a spectrum. It's do we attempt to convey and translate all of the world's knowledge, perspectives, values, and circumstances into one place with one small group of super smart people who will then direct and allocate all of the resources to the right ends? Or do we instead convey any additional knowledge outward to the individuals, the, to those closest to the information, experiencing the circumstances, and making value judgments in the moment so that they can make their plans and decisions uh, with their own resources to match or to align with others, which I think is the natural state of being human. It's to, it's to try to get along because you can't do anything by yourself. Like we're completely useless without economic trade. We are a, we are a collective, a, a social organism. Um, so uh, it's, it's really interesting as... Uh, that concept and like the talking of like that being like this spectrum and I really love uh I love that he adds that the halfway house or the halfway mark as it, as he puts it is uh universally despised that everybody thinks that the mix between these two is broken for whatever reason for different reasons 
Um, the, nobody can agree, but everybody can agree on uh, the fact that doing some mix in between is just terrible because it means that some people are forced to uh, allocate resources against what they seek. And so it's like this question of do we let everybody decide for themselves or do we try to figure out which specific group gets to just invoke their allocation onto everyone else. Um, but the ultimate dichotomy is between centralization and decentralization. Centralized versus decentralized planning uh, among a diverse and decentralized group of human perspectives. Um, so do we take them all into account or do we just try to dump every piece of information and knowledge and circumstance at all times all into one big thing and think we're going to design uh, this really great math problem to send all the resources exactly where they need to go. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into the next section. This might be the last one. I'm actually running a little bit lower on time than I thought, so uh, we'll go ahead and hit this one, and I'll sum it up and talk for just a bit, and then we'll close this episode out. Section 3. It will at once be evident that on this point, the position will be different with respect to different kinds of knowledge, and the answer to our question will therefore largely turn on the relative importance of the different kinds of knowledge, those more likely to be at the disposal of particular individuals, and those which we should with greater confidence expect to find in the possession of an authority made up of suitably chosen experts. If it is today so widely assumed that the latter will be in a better position, this is because one kind of knowledge, namely scientific knowledge, occupies now so prominent a place in public imagination that we tend to forget that it is not the only kind that is relevant. It may be admitted that, as far as scientific knowledge is concerned, a body of suitably chosen experts may be in the best position to command all the best knowledge available. Though this is, of course, merely shifting the difficulty to the problem of selecting the experts. What I wish to point out is that, even assuming that this problem can be readily solved, it is only a small part of the wider problem. Today, it is almost heresy to suggest that scientific knowledge is not the sum of all knowledge. But a little reflection will show that there is beyond question a body of very important but unorganized knowledge, which cannot possibly be called scientific in the sense of knowledge of general rules. The knowledge of the particular circumstances of time and place. It is with respect to this that practically every individual has some advantage over all others because he possesses unique information of which beneficial use might be made, but of which use can be made only if the decisions depending on it are left to him or are made with his active cooperation. We need only to remember how much we have to learn in any occupation after we have completed our theoretical training, how big a part of our working life we spend learning particular jobs, and how valuable an asset in all walks of life is the knowledge of people, of local conditions, and of special circumstances. To know of and put to use a machine not fully employed, or somebody's skill which could be better utilized, or to be aware of a surplus stock which can be drawn upon during interruption of supplies, 
is socially quite as useful as the knowledge of better alternative techniques. And the shipper who earns his living from using otherwise empty or half-filled journeys of tramp steamers or the estate agent whose whole knowledge is almost exclusively one of temporary opportunities or the arbitrager who gains from local differences of commodity prices are all performing eminently useful functions based on special knowledge of circumstances of the fleeting moment, not known to others. It is a curious fact that this sort of knowledge should today be generally regarded with a kind of contempt, and that anyone who, by such knowledge, gains an advantage over somebody better equipped with the theoretical or technical knowledge is thought to have acted almost disreputably. To gain an advantage from better knowledge of facilities of communication or transport is sometimes regarded as almost dishonest. Although it is quite as important that society make use of the best opportunities in this respect as in using the latest scientific discoveries, this prejudice has in a considerable measure affected the attitude toward commerce in general compared with that toward production. Even economists who regard themselves as definitely immune to the crude materialist fallacies of the past constantly commit the same mistake where activities directed toward the acquisition of such practical knowledge are concerned, apparently because in their scheme of things all such knowledge is supposed to be, quote, given. The common idea now seems to be that all such knowledge should, as a matter of course, be readily at the command of everybody, and the reproach of irrationality leveled against the existing economic order is frequently based on the fact that it is not so available. This view disregards the fact that the method by which such knowledge can be made as widely available as possible is precisely the problem to which we have to find an answer. All right, and that will close out our piece. Again, that was from fee.org. That is the Foundation for Economic Education. And they are a wonderful resource for all kinds of stuff exactly like this. And Hayek is a really good one to read. I know he's a little bit dense and hard to follow sometimes, but uh, but he has, God, he has some amazing thoughts and like kind of theories on all this stuff that's just fascinating because always, it's always a unique perspective. It's always something a little bit different than what you're used to hearing about. Um, but uh, for a brief, let's go over section three real quick, uh, and then we will close out this episode because uh, I am out of time. But before we do that, let's, let's, let's hit the uh, summary for this one. So uh, like in, our, in our, our dichotomy, our little spectrum there of do we decentralize the decision in planning or do we centralize the planning is like you immediately see that the answer to what would be most effective is different based on what kinds of knowledge we're accounting for. Like what, what type of uh, uh, knowledge are we trying to assess for? in whether or not central, any kind of central decision-making even makes sense. So, uh, like, what types of knowledge do we have and what are their relative importance becomes the new question. Because there's a lot of different types of knowledge. There's, there's some that you would expect to be at the disposal of particular individuals um, and only to those individuals that there, are, there is knowledge based on certain circumstances. And then, of course, there's knowledge that, there's, that you would find that an authority or a group of chosen experts would have. So the public and just kind of the whole prominence, like it is just loud in everybody's head that somehow the last of those, that, that the group 
of experts. The, the knowledge that they would have as experts in their field is the only important knowledge out there. That's all that needs to be taken into consideration, and everything else is just subpar. When, uh, and it's just kind of, and he talks about like it's just an, it's an overinflated value on scientific knowledge. Like scientific knowledge is great, but it is not, that's not economic knowledge. Um, like it benefits, obviously, everything that's going on in the economic process, but it, the economy doesn't run on a scientific theory. Uh, in the sense that, like, we can't just, like, figure out a theory and then the economy works. It's not that type of mechanism. Um, and, but you immediately run into the exact same problem. You just, you just push the problem, like, one layer down. Is it, like, okay, let's say we're concerned only with scientific knowledge and all we need is a chosen group of experts. Well, then the same fundamental problem is that there it's just shifted to now who do we choose as the experts? Like, how can we decide who the right expert is as opposed to the wrong expert? And, you know, he says, assuming we can even solve this problem, which, you know, arguably, like, it, it, it is its own, you haven't changed the fundamental nature of the issue at all. Um, but it's still only a small part of the whole process of, like, the whole picture that needs to be accounted for. So, like, the overestimation of assuming that that scientific knowledge is the only relevant knowledge to economic, to, to like calculation, to economic calculation, is completely ignoring the vast ocean of unorganized, uh, like time-specific, um, individual-specific, and place-specific knowledge. Like there's all this other knowledge that we are constantly taking advantage of that comes and goes even throughout our day. And we just don't think about how important it is in our ability to make decisions or plan around what's happening years from now, an hour from now. It doesn't matter. Like when we're making economic decisions, we take into account all the crazy, the weather, the weather, whether or not I am buying a drink or watching something. Like there are so many factors that are at play. And every single individual, everyone, has a significant advantage because of their perspective and their experiences and their knowledge and their particular place in the world, that any decisions or opportunities that are presented before them, they have a significant advantage over anyone else, even somebody nearby who might be like them. But the further you get from that, obviously the, the less and less someone else is going to even be able to understand or have any idea what that opportunity or imbalance is. Um, like, just the nature of us living individual lives puts us at a huge advantage over anyone else around the circumstances of our own lives. So he talks about, like, a, it goes into a, two paragraphs of, like, analogies and explaining. Just think out how much you continue to learn uh, and, like, just micro-adjustments that you make all the time, like, when you're in a job for, like, after you complete your training, that that doesn't end your learning of the job. Like like I would spend years in jobs and still just find out crazy things that would benefit me um, or change some process. Or like there was this one thing uh, uh, in one of my old technician jobs. They we would have to call in to get this one particular thing settled at uh, like settled in a thing, but it would completely destroy. Like it would just fill up our call the call center with technicians calling in. 
And I, I actually like had a little booklet and I wrote down like, okay, this is how much time I'm taking just to reset this, uh, this parameter or whatnot. Uh, and I kept track of all the phone calls that I made. And then I actually like, I, I t- tallied all this stuff up because we were, there were these things that literally should just be notifications notifying the people who need to know. It, there was no reason that it had to be a phone call and a punch in. Like you talk to a robot first. Uh, and then, you know, you punch a bunch of stuff in and you get to the right place and then you wait and, you know, they've got you on hold and then you finally get to talk to somebody and then they get it sorted out. Uh, and but fingers crossed it gets sorted out on the first try or you have to call back in and you have to do all this stuff over again when it's not even something that you should have to wait for. But anyway, I, I did I actually did like a booklet um, of keeping track of this for like a month and found that based on the number of technicians we had in our team, like in our uh, local area, they were wasting two, like, point something entire salaries of people in our area just in dealing with this one issue. Um, and, you know, we switched to a... Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't very long after that that, like, the conversation started, and we're like, why are we doing this? This doesn't make any sense. Um, and uh, we switched to a, just a little notification thing. That's all it was, is that we just needed a list of, like, there was no reason to have a conversation. But anyway, so that's just one of those things that happened years after I was at the job. Years. And, like, that's a huge efficiency gain. That's a, a reallocation of resources within the company that, I mean, think of the time that that saves. Uh, and, and who else other than someone in that specific individual spot would be able to see exactly what was being wasted. Um, and how long does it take in any position to be considered an expert to like feel that you've actually mastered a particular job or a profession? Like how many years and years and years before you feel like every situation you run into, you're like, I know how to do this, or I can, I can easily tweak this, or I've got some sort of, you know, I've just, I've got the right process that's going to get me to this answer 10 times as fast as anybody else who's doing this job, uh, then, then think about the, the huge value in every facet of our lives, just everything that we do on knowing who to trust, like knowing who the people are around you, like what experiences they have had, who is going to be able to, who's going to be available, who is not, like, like uh, who to associate with, what your local conditions are, whether another good example um, uh, like the local patterns that you're familiar with, like when you know something is out of whack or when some route is not present or something, that just all the special circumstances that come up in so many personal and professional decisions all of the time. Like, uh, what, was the, what was the thing? Hold on a second. He talked about, oh, a machine, a machine, knowing that a machine or a tool that's not being properly utilized, uh, like... There's so many things. There was I actually had a job that didn't know you could automate email responses, um, and uh, my my wife in her job is actually having a bit of a similar situation. Is that like people just don't know how to utilize a computer to do work for them, and they literally have whole positions and people that are spending all of their time writing up emails and like doing specific responses and following up on to who's signed what and who has responded to what and who completed this. And you can make an entire email sequence automated to do that. So your email will do the job for you. You you set up the sequence of events 
once. And you, you, you set up a little, basically a little pattern, a code. It's like ConvertKit or whatever. If you've ever used a, an email program like that, like, you know, like, you know, you, you can segment people out into different things. You can have emails sent to, to follow up to the people who didn't complete the survey, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you can do all of this stuff and save yourself so many hours. And that's just knowing how to use one basic tool. Um, they, had a, they had an issue with a printer that um, there was some feature. What was it? God, I can't even remember what it was, but it had something to do with like large print jobs and having to actually go down and adjust something and come back. Like I can't remember what it, what it was, but they had gotten new printers and nobody knew how to utilize it. And there was this feature that ended up saving them all a ton of time that they didn't find until like six months in. Uh, so there's just so much knowledge at play that we don't think about it because it's natural. It's just kind of in the back of our minds. And we think of, like, scientific knowledge as this great, like, magic wand where everything works, when really the, the process of economic organization is in the, the collective actions of all of those billions of tiny decisions and little pieces of knowledge and tiny opportunities. And, like, all of that moves in the aggregate a ton of wealth that people don't just it just it's not as visible it's hidden it's one layer below the surface and all we're all we're all just running around on the surface and not really realizing just how deep the water goes and uh so more important the actions that are taken in response to all of this information and the fact that it's been demonized, I, like I love that he like addresses that, and it's like like commerce and like opportunistic, uh, like like economic trade, like taking advantage of like arbitrage or uh, real estate, you know, some temporary real estate um, uh, opportunity or something is demonized. It's like this evil thing when it's exactly what keeps things in balance. It it allocates and balances so many resources so quickly that the broader the broader ideas and processes can't touch. Um, and uh, it's, it's exactly how imbalances are snuffed out quickly. And the faster and the more people there are taking advantage of temporal opportunities like this, then the faster the economy can match the supply and the resources to the places that they are needed and to the, uh, to the goals that are most important at any specific time. And the price the price is that accurate representation of that. Um, it's, so it's, it's trying to find an accurate price in a market that it always has disorganized, broken, partial information. Uh, so I guess that's it. I, that's, all, that's all I'll say on this. Um, we'll get into part four through seven tomorrow. And uh, uh, we've still got quite a bit of fun stuff to cover in this topic. And this will continue our week on economics. And I got some fun stuff coming later this week. Sorry, this is probably going to be a late episode. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get this out now. Uh, it'll probably be later on in the day, but I will still try to get it out um, uh, for you guys. Uh, so, yeah, don't forget, uh, did I mention JW's? Uh, don't forget to, uh, uh, if you'd like to donate to JW Weatherman's bounty for the Bitcoin Attackers Wiki, uh, I think that's a really cool project to donate to. And if you would like to support the show, Anchor has built-in sponsorships. 
um, the or will not well they have built-in sponsorships but they have the built-in supporting listeners it's, it's essentially patreon except they don't take a huge cut of it which is awesome so if anybody would like to do that I actually just got my first supporting listener the other day that was how i realized that that was there i kind of just forgot about it it falls in the background for me um so if anybody wants to support the show that's a really really great way to do that and i would absolutely love it we this thing survives on the listeners right now uh, I do make some change with the sponsorships and I really appreciate that but it's 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 genuinely because of the support that you guys have given that this thing stays alive so thank you thank you so much and uh yeah I guess we will close this episode out thank you for listening this is the crypto economy P- podcast podcast I am Guy Swan peace out I will catch you all tomorrow with another episode of the Crypto Economy Podcast. Until then, take it easy, guys.